exciting, Jeff. We're here together at the beautiful Hotel Casa Del Mar in Santa Monica, California to record this, the seventh episode of The Ackerman Angle. And we have the real privilege to be joined here by a live audience at, the, at Ackerman's Labor and Employment Summit. Our topic today, Jeff, is pay transparency. Pay transparency has become a catch-all term for a variety of legal requirements that states and local governments have imposed on employers in an effort to reduce or eliminate inequities in compensation among employees doing similar jobs, which extend from requiring employers to report pay data to government agencies to requiring employers to fully post salary ranges when advertising positions or upon inquiry while not technically about transparency, we're also gonna to touch on bans on asking people about their salary history. These legislative efforts have been a major focus for policymakers over the past couple of years, which has required employers to be nimble as requirements have changed rapidly. In today's show, we're gonna start off discussing the trends we are seeing across the country in pay transparency requirements as an increasing number of states and cities join the pay transparency movement. We'll spend some time touching on the practical effects of pay transparency policies on businesses and how those policies have changed the employer-employee relationship. And finally, we'll touch on some best practices that employers should follow to avoid pitfalls as pay transparency requirements expand. The page transparency laws are becoming more and more prevalent. You know, when we talk about pay transparency laws, as you said, we talk about um, laws requiring employers who are posting for positions to provide salary ranges, pay ranges for their, th those positions. Um, we talk about salary history bans, and we also talk about reporting, paid data reporting requirements that some states have imposed on employers in those states. So for instance, California, Illinois, Minnesota, all have pay data, salary wage data reporting requirements um, whereby employers in those states have to provide pay data along with demographic information to the states, similar to the federal EEO-1 uh, on and off again requirements. Um, so Illinois and, and, and California require employers with more than 100 employees uh, that have any employees in those states to provide that pay data report um, to the state. Uh, on an annual basis. Um, Minnesota also has a pay data reporting law, but it's a little bit different in that it only requires that kind of data reporting for uh, companies that are businesses that are doing business with the state, whereas Illinois and California require it for all employers. Um, and then we have the salary history bans. Um, and what salary history bans are, uh, as most of you probably know, um, are uh, prohibitions on employers asking candidates for employment what their salary history is, um, their most current position, whatever it may be. Um, the idea being that they're trying to avoid sort of institutionalizing pay disparities, right? So where the, we all know there's a gender gap uh, in pay, where women are paid 84 cents on the dollar, what men are paid for, a similar, for similar jobs. Um, if a candidate for a position has to, has to disclose their pay history, a woman looking, seeking a job, um, it's more likely that the employer is gonna base their compensation in that job on their past compensation, thereby sort of you know, uh, creating a cycle of that, of that wage gap. Um, so those are salary history bans. And generally, you know, they prohibit employers from 
asking about salary history. Um, obviously, you can't stop somebody from telling you something, right, if you don't inquire about it. Um, but what they do say is if you do learn of an employee's salary history, um, you're, you're not supposed to. And they don't all go this far, but many do. Um, you're, you're prohibited from using that information in determining what you're going to pay the candidate. You're also prohibited from using that information uh, in deciding whether or not to hire the candidate. Um, how they would prove that, if it came down to it, you know, who knows, but that's, that's what the law provides. Um, interestingly, uh, just sort of a side note, Michigan and Wisconsin have gone in the opposite direction. Uh, Michigan and Wisconsin have passed laws banning salary history bans. So they've passed laws saying that, that employers in those states cannot be prohibited from asking about candidates' salary histories. You can't tell me I can't ask that person their salary. So that's it, Jeff? Yeah, it's, it's a ban on salary history bans. For what that's worth, why they decided that was important, I couldn't tell you. Um, and Michigan really has like a split personality on this because they prohibit state agencies from asking about salary histories. So the state agencies can't ask candidates for employment about their salary histories, but all the other employer, employers in the state can't be prohibited from doing that. So for, for what that is worth, a little fun fact. Um, so that's salary history bans. And that's, those are probably the most prevalent of these types of laws. Um, thank you. So of uh, these, you know, sort of the bucket of, of, of pay transparency laws, um, there's 20 some odd states that have um, salary history bans in place. Um, and then we have sort of the pure sorts of salary transparency laws, which require employers to um, disclose pay ranges uh, for, with respect to jobs that they're posting um, or jobs that they're uh, considering a candidate for. Um, and that's really what, you know, there's been a, a lot of discussion about. A lot of employers have asked questions about those laws. Uh, there's been a lot of talk about them. Um, there's sort of two buckets of those, of those laws. One are, as I said, posting laws. So if you're posting for an open position, and some of the laws address both external and internal, like promotional opportunities, that kind of thing, you're required to post a salary range uh, for that position. Um, and then there's pay transparency laws that don't go quite that far. Uh, and those laws require employers to disclose to a particular candidate, uh, an applicant for a position, what the wage range is for that position at various times. It can be limited to being upon their request, or some of the laws say at a certain time within the interview application process, you have to uh, disclose what the salary range is. It could be after the interview or upon a conditional offer of employment, that type of thing. So those are the type of laws that are out there. I think there's eight states currently that have those kind of pay transparency laws in place, whether it's the posting or the upon request or at a certain point in the interview process type law. Um, there's 15 more states that um, are considering passing laws like that. So this is one of the biggest trends right now in, in employment law. Um, with all the states kind of, many of the states, I should say, getting in on the action. So Jeff, I think what's really interesting with the, the pay ranges and that, and that requirement of pay ranges being imposed is that a lot of employers prior to this legislation coming forward may not have actually thought about 
what a pay range is. They may not even have one. It may just be the, what people are getting paid is the product of whatever was negotiated or what we did the last time or, or you know, perhaps completely arbitrary. Um, so we have a, a question from our live audience already that was handed up to me a few minutes ago that I think touches on this issue. Is that as employers are now required to post salary ranges, what do we think, what do we recommend um, for handling employee requests from current employees who want to know the pay range and what should we do if we don't already have that information prepared. So if I understand the question, it's current employees that want to know the pay range for their, their current position? So that's the question. But I think, you, I, mean, I think you could ask the question for uh, applicants as well. It would be the same, perhaps the same issue, right? Right. So there are laws which require, some of the state's laws do require that current employees upon request have to be given the pay range for their actual position. Um, and then, as I said, if it's a promotional position within, within the company, you've got to, uh, these, some of these states require you to provide a pay range for that position when you offer that, um, that, that opening. And, and of course, if it's posted publicly for you know, those open positions, any employee can, can see that and find that out. But, but I don't know that there is a specific rule that if there's just like a, an open position that's not necessarily a promotional position and that kind of thing, or a transfer position, that a current employee has the right to be told what that salary range is separate apart from the posting? So I, I think that probably answers the question. Okay. okay. And in terms of the range that's posted for an existing pay range, that's, or for an existing position, you know, the employer may not have provided, but it's the top and bottom of what people in that same job title are making within the company, right? That's, so that's where maybe the risk comes in, and we're going to, this is our podcast today, of what happens when employees see that range and how they respond to it, right? Right. So what we thought we would do is just go through, there's, like I said, there's eight states, and there's actually several municipalities and, and counties that also have pay transparency laws because... Right? Why just leave it to the state when you could pass it on the city and county level too? Right? But, but um, uh, we're not going to go through each and every one of them, all the requirements. That's boring. Nobody's interested in seeing that. We don't have a PowerPoint up here. No one's going to remember it. Um, but we thought we'd give a, couple of, a few examples of the laws that are out there and, and what the requirements are. So I guess I'll start ahead, with, um, with New York City. So New York City passed a pay transparency law uh, that became effective November 1, 2022. Um, and that requires covered employers to post a job promotional or transfer opportunity that can or will be performed in New York City uh, to disclose that pay range. Um, so that, that can or will language has been uh, a, a, little, a topic of a little bit of controversy because it's so broad. You know, in turn, how do you determine what job can be performed in New York? So essentially, if you're offering a position and it's going to be remote and you can hire somebody and you're opening it up to hire somebody anywhere for that remote position, um, and you're an employer that has four or more employees already in New York, uh, you're going to be required to adhere to and abide by the New York City uh, pay transparency law. Um, that law addresses only at this time the base salary. So some of these other laws uh, require more information than just the base salary range. They require information about benefits, bonuses, that kind of thing. In New York City, when they passed that law, did not include that. However, not to be left behind, there is an amendment pending to the law that, uh, that, that now creates that requirement um, that employers uh, include 
um, bonus information, benefit information, and other compensation information. Um, so, so that law is, go is likely going to be amended in the, in, in the very near future. The New York State, okay, New York State passed uh, a pay transparency law in December 2022, but it doesn't go into effect until September 17, 2023. Interesting, that law also had that can or will be performed in New York State language in it, and there was so much backlash against that that they've amended law even before it's coming into effect to, um, to, to, to get rid of that can or will be performed in New York State language. And now the language is will be in whole or in part performed in New York. Um, but that will or be in whole or in part performed in New York is deemed to also include remote positions that are reporting into New York. Um, and the, the law applies to outside uh, posting positions for new employment, uh, promotional or transfer opportunities as well. It also requires a job description. So it's not only pay range, uh, but also you have to give a detailed description of what the job is that you're posting for. And again, it uh, requires other forms of compensation to be disclosed. Uh, I should say New York City law also is the, the, another amendment is to include a job description. Um, so that's New York, New York State. Let's talk about the Golden State, um, our, our, our lovely host for our podcast today. Um, California passed um, pay, pay transparency legislation in 2021 as well. Um, and it is extensive, as we do labor laws in California. Um, employers with 15 or more employees must, must put a pay range on all job postings, whether that job posting is published directly by the employer or is published by a third-party recruiter. And if you're going to use a third-party recruiter, you need to provide that pay range to the recruiter so that they can include it in their posting. All employers, regardless of size, must provide the pay scale to an employee upon request after an initial job interview. All employers must provide current employees with the pay scale for their current position upon request. In California, because we love litigation in California, employees have two mechanisms by which they can enforce this law. One is they can bring a claim for violations with California Labor Commissioner. Um, and the California Labor Commissioner has the uh, ability to impose a civil penalty that can range from $100 to $10,000 per violation. But if the employee doesn't want to do that, they can also go to court and they can file a civil action where they can seek an injunctive or injunctive relief or other relief as the court may deem fit. The mind wanders on what that means. Um, and of course, California also has a reporting requirement where uh, employers are required to maintain pay data for all employees during the course of their employment and for three years after separation and make annual reporting to the California Civil Rights Department um, if they are an employer with 100 or employees or more. Um, and the reporting has to include not only directly hired employees, but employees that are sourced through labor contractors as well. Should we also Colorado? talk about Colorado as well, Jeff? Go ahead. I don't know what Colorado, do you know what Colorado's nickname is? I don't. Thank you, Melissa. This is Melissa Sismorris from our Denver office helping me with Colorado facts. 
So this, the centennial state also enacted pay transparency. Way, I think Colorado was the first state to pass one of these kinds of. I think that's right, Jeff. So Colorado um, was out here pioneering on um, on pay transparency. Um, so there are extensive requirements in here um, in Colorado's legislation that we're just going to touch on at a very high level. Um, but when it comes to internal or internal hires, current employees, promotion opportunities, um, Colorado actually requires employers who have at least one employee in the state to make a, an internal job posting for any position that could be considered a promotional opportunity. So if it is a job that somebody within your organization could be promoted to in Colorado, you have to do that before you can externally post it. It has to be posted with a reasonable time for your internal applicant to apply, um, but at least one day prior to making a decision on the position, and all Colorado employees must receive notice and have reasonable access to the position. And the internal job posting must disclose the salary range for the position as well as any benefits that are offered. Now, to be clear, a promotional opportunity within the law is defined as a vacancy in an existing or new position that could be considered a promotion for one or more employees in terms of compensation, benefits, status, duties, or access to further advancement. So that by itself is a pretty big and broad requirement um, that Colorado has imposed on employers. Um, for external job postings in Colorado, you must include a pay range, as well as a general explanation of the types of benefits that are offered for the position. Benefits must be separately identified in your job posting, and that's health, dental, vision. You must include what PTO you're offering or vacation um, and any other benefit that would need to be reported for tax purposes. Um, and all jobs that could be filled by a Colorado employee or in which an out-of-state employee would report remotely to the Colorado site must contain the pay range and benefit information, which that requirement, Jeff, I think is pretty interesting because that seems to create almost a nationwide reach of Colorado's pay transparency law. I guess people, um, that, that remains to be seen, but that certainly su suggests that if there is a position that somebody in Denver could fill, regardless of where you're posting it, you have to include the pay range. Yeah, and I should have mentioned before, uh, New York State shockingly uh, does not provide for a private right of action in connection with its, its pay transparency law. So uh, you cannot be sued uh, in court for violation of the New York State um, pay transparency law. You can file a complaint with the uh, New York State Department of Human Rights and the commissioner can come after you and it's $3,000 uh, maximum fine or penalty per violation. Um, again, per violation though could be each time this thing's posted. We don't know how they're going to, you know, a posting is is either not made or not made accurately. Um, we don't know how they're going to interpret that. It could be each day that that posting, you know, isn't posted or is posted erroneously, or it could be one fine for one, you know, one failure to post a position. They haven't they haven't said how they're going to interpret that yet. In Colorado is is similar. You can't take an employer to court in Colorado but an employee may file a claim with the Colorado Department of Labor and Employment, and that agency um, has the power to levy fines of anywhere from $500 to $10,000 for violations of Colorado's pay transparency law. So um, 
We're going to talk about Rhode Island, because I'm sure everybody here has employees or offices in Rhode Island, right? Big state, <laughs> big state. Um, but no, but the reason being that it's a, it's a different kind of pay transparency law. So they passed a law in, in, uh, in January of 2023, um, which amended Rhode Island's equal pay law. Uh, and it, it, it implemented a few different uh, pay transparency type of requirements. So it, did, it instituted at that time a salary history ban. Um, and it instituted a law prohibiting an employer to take adverse action against an employee who inquires about or discusses their own wages or the wages of others. Um, so sort of protecting against retaliation for talking about wages among employees, which I see Gennaro over there is like, yeah, the, the, NLR, the NLRB will get you for that anyway. But, but, uh, but yeah, so that was included in, um, in Rhode Island's law. And then um, with respect to the other type of pay transparency, it says all employers within the state must provide a pay range for a given position to an applicant upon their request at the time of hire upon an employee's request to a current employee, to go back to that other question, who transfers to a new position even if the employee doesn't request it, okay? Uh, and any time uh, a current employee requests. So that's, that's not a posting law. It's, it's a law that deals with current and potential future employee uh, requests or applications for a position. So Jeff, sometimes we like to do some prognosticating on our show, look into our little crystal ball and figure out what all this stuff means. Um, and, and so in this case with pay transparency, the question that I think we're asking a lot of lawyers, a lot of employers out there are asking about these laws is, are they effective and are they a good thing? Are they beneficial to the marketplace, beneficial to employers and employees alike? And it seems that there's data across the map as to whether that's the case or not. Yeah, that's true. Some of it's kind of consistent in terms of what employees or applicants for positions want to see and, and like, and you're, I think you're going to talk about that. Um, and then there's the idea of is it good for, you know, is it effective, first of all, to close the, the pay gap, the gender pay gap is where most of the research is, um, and what, what's its effect generally on, on wages? So uh, there's some some data out there from the past year or two as, as researchers um, in the academic world have started looking at, at, at pay transparency. And um, it's not necessarily an academic source, but SHRM has a study that they, that they published in uh, March of this year. It has some interesting numbers. Show that employees, maybe unsurprisingly, um, seem to pr prefer pay transparency. Um, in the SHRM study, 82% of those surveyed said that they were more likely to consider a job if the pay range is published. Um, so it definitely shows that in places maybe where there are not existing pay transparency laws, employers who are already publishing pay ranges may have a leg up in those markets because more people are going to be attracted to those postings where the pay range is published. 74% of those surveyed said they were less interested in a position if the listing omits the pay range, which I think further and pretty overwhelmingly supports the conclusion of the first point. Um, and then 73% said they are more likely to trust organizations that provide 
pay ranges. So there may be a real clear and affirmative benefit to your culture, to employee morale, to be transparent and include the pay ranges. And, and the ability to attract talent, which is right. a big challenge right now that I think people have talked about throughout the day today uh, at the summit, um, you know, how hard it is to attract and retain talent you know, workers. So, um, so and, and this isn't the only study that's shown similar statistics and similar benefits to pay transparency. So it does seem that there is a clear benefit to pay transparency laws um, in terms of attracting applicants for positions. Um, so that's something that you know, employers should, should be aware of, particularly since, you know, and I, I think it's changing a little bit, but when these laws first started uh, being passed, I think that the initial reaction from a lot of employers was coming from a place of fear, you know, or like, oh my God, this is going to have a terrible effect on our company. We have to disclose how much we're getting paid. You know, it's going to create dissension among, or how much we're paying workers. Um, it's going to create dissension among our, our own workers. It's going to give our competitors information about how much we're paying. It's going to affect our business and all this stuff. Um, but it does seem like there's some, some real benefits there. And I think more and more employers are kind of coming around to the fact that it may not be the, the great evil thing that they thought it was, it was going to be. Right. But it's interesting to see also when pay transparency happens and when it's done um, completely, how workers respond to it, and especially current employees. And, and um, you know, our, our, our practice group chair, Rick Gordon, who's with us this weekend, has, has made no secret of the fact he's a big hockey fan, Jeff. Uh, <laughs> I hadn't noticed. Um, so, so, so we have some, some interesting data from the National Hockey League that I think tells an interesting story about pay transparency. Um, I learned, and there's, there's, there's been some, some academic research a, a, around this, but I learned, I didn't realize this, that in the 80s and prior, that salaries for hockey players were confidential. And then in the 1990 season, the um, players union decided that they were gonna start, they were gonna agree to make those salaries public, and the salaries became public. And what was interesting was how the players who were at the lower end of the salary distribution responded to it. Because what the salary distribution actually showed was that the defensive-minded players were paid less. And there seemed to be a, a, a clear, if not strong, correlation between goal scoring and income. So then what happens on the ice? the underpaid players start pushing up and trying to score goals. Now, depending on you know, the strength of your team, maybe that's a good thing. Maybe you, get, you, you score more goals and you win more games. But we all know what happens if we don't have people getting back on defense. This is our goalie back there by himself. We're giving up a ton of goals, too. So there was this interesting dynamic that happened where the salaries became public. You see the defensive-minded players at the bottom of the pay scale, and then the players in that group, the lower end of the distribution, start trying to score goals so they can improve their pay. They're responding to that economic incentive, but it's not necessarily the outcome that 
is best for the organization. The best thing for a hockey team is to win games, and you need to cover both ends of the ice. And so similarly, in, in, in corporations, the question is, when we are rewarding certain roles in the company with high compensation and not rewarding other perhaps equally, if not more important roles similarly, whether employees start modifying their behavior or modifying their commitment to those positions because of pay transparency. Right, or the flip side, right, the positive right, of that could be that if an employee in a particular position sees that another position you know, pays more money as a higher salary range than where they are, um, where it could be a promotion or it could be you know, something else that the company values, they might, they might work harder right, to get right. that promotion right. or to move into that area of the business and do something that the company, you know, the company values. So it, it can also have that, that other effect. Um, some other studies have shown what sort of, the, I guess, the macro effect of these type of, of laws are. Um, and HBR, Harvard Business Review, did a study. Um, and what that showed is that, um, and there's been a few studies, again, that have shown this, that these pay transparency laws actually are effective in narrowing uh, the gender pay gap um, and reducing pay inequities. Um, but what they've also showed is a lot of that is, is a little bit of the people at the lower end of the pay scale making more money, but it's also a flattening or a downward pressure on the higher salaries. Um, and and you know, why that is exactly, you know, different studies have, have sort of hypothesized some different things. For instance, um, one of the studies said that you know, maybe the, uh, at the higher end, uh, when, once they published what the salary range is, right, that stops somebody from negotiating for more, right? Because the company can just say, well, this is the top range of, our, of, our, of, this, of the compensation for this position, so you know, we're not going to go past that. It gives them sort of the ability to say, you know, hey, it's out of our hands. This is, this is all we're going to pay for this position. Um, some of the potential negative effects is that uh, you could potentially lose talent uh, for people at the higher end who want to get paid more, um, who are not getting paid more. Um, and you might lose them to, to another competitor who, who is paying their employees more. Um, there's also been some studies that have shown that um, where pay transparency laws have been passed in those communities or the localities, um, it's actually depressed wages overall. So where the, the gap, the, the pay gap has narrowed, um, there's been a slight depression in overall wages within that community or within that locality. So, you know, there's pluses and minuses for it, but it, it, one thing seems to be clear is that it, they are effective in, in closing the gender pay gap, and it also seems to be clear that candidates for employment and employees, by and large, like pay transparency laws. Um, as I said before, kind of a motivating effect on employees and it can be good for morale based on certain studies. But what can also happen is, and I think most employers would, would assume this would happen, is if somebody feels that they're, if they see a pay range being published and they feel that they're not being fairly compensated, um, that could have a negative impact on morale. Um, so all these different things can happen and it's gonna depend on the circumstances within that business, right? And, and what that pay scale is telling people who have the opportunity to see it or find out about it. So I guess that brings us to what, what should employers, employers do? do? What should employers do, Jeff? I don't know.
You don't know. <laughs> what are we doing here with this live audience? We got to know something. So a, a few things that employers should do. Um, you know, if you realize that you're going to have to start complying with pay transparency laws, right? Because you're going to be hiring employees in, in jurisdictions that have these laws, um, and it might be too late for some some employers, but never, you know, um, better late than never. Uh, get your compensation structures ready for prime time, right? It's do a pay or salary um, audit, right? And look what you're doing within the company. See what those pay scales look like. See if there's inequities that need to be dealt with um, and, and address that before you start publishing what those pay ranges and pay scales are. Um, because obviously, if you start publishing these things and there's blatant inequities within the workplace, that can result in, in, in lawsuits. Um, so, so do an audit of your payroll uh, to determine if inequities exist. Um, not so much a legal issue, but you know you might also want to have a study done to see if your um, compensation ranges are competitive, right? And that's one of the things that employers are concerned about with these laws is they're going to publish, you know, you're going to publish pay ranges and you're going to lose talent to other competitors that are paying more. Um, so, you know, if possible, do a study to determine, uh, you know, whether your pay ranges are competitive. And then, again, from a legal liability standpoint, um, make the published or the disclosed pay ranges uh, realistic. You know, make them real. So I think a lot of employers, when you know these laws were first passed, like in New York City, I know, you know, you would see pay ranges that were like fifty thousand dollars in the low end and three hundred fifty thousand dollars in the high end, right? And like, no, we yeah, that's not you know that's not going to fly. Um, so you, you do want to make it broad, right, to give yourself flexibility within a certain, you know, w within a certain range. Um, but, it, but it also needs to be really realistic. It needs to be a good faith um, salary range based on what you believe is really, you know, the, the likely compensation range for that position. So the, of course, then we ask the question about what, what are we going to do then when we go and post if we don't want to publish a pay range. And a lot of these states are suggesting, or a lot of this data and, and the, the, the course of the legislation is suggesting you should just go ahead and publish the pay range. But if you want to avoid it, if you have you know, really good reason to, there's, I think, the possibility in some places, and it's still relatively untested, other than we know it wouldn't work in California, um, would be to use a recruiter and only use a third party to try to, to, to source candidates um, on the idea that a recruiter may not share your obligation to disclose the pay range or that you don't have a vicarious obligation through the recruiter to disclose the pay range. And again, in California, they anticipated that, but it's not as clear in other uh, jurisdictions that, that... Some states have said if you use an employment agency, they have to disclose the pay range, although it's not clear they have to disclose the name of the employer that they're posting it for, but they definitely have to put the range for the position and all that other information. Um, and some states have not have not addressed that, but but I think that's going to change. I think the states that have these laws are likely going to amend them to to address that if they see that that becomes an end run around the intent of the laws. And look, maybe there is a benefit to having to being able to post with the pay range, but not have your name on it 
so that at least your competitors aren't seeing the posting and associating that pay range with your company. Right. And I don't know if you mentioned before, Colorado, I think you probably did, right, has a procedure or a carve out for confidential posting of positions under certain circumstances. Um, one of them is that if you are posting for a position that's currently held by somebody in your company and you're looking to replace them, um, you can, you can you know, make it confidential, either not have the name of the company or not provide the pay range or, or whatever it is. Um, so, uh, so there are some carve-outs that allow you to post confidentially and not have to disclose all that information. But Colorado is the only state that I'm aware of that made that exception for that particular circumstance. Um, and then, Jeff, on the salary, salary history point, um, I know in a room full of, full of HR professionals um, and employment lawyers, I know probably everyone in this room has a list of illegal interview questions. And maybe salary history should go into your list of illegal interview questions if it hasn't already, um, because an increasingly, num increasingly large number of jurisdictions other than Miss Michigan and Wisconsin, um, it's no longer allowed to, to be asked. So, you know, unless there is a very compelling reason to leave it in there and you're confident that you're legally sound to do so, simply just remove it from your applications or remove it from your interview questions. Um, but of course, you can still ask employees about what their salary demands or expectations are, but that's obviously a carefully crafted question. Um, but it's a different one. It's like, what are you looking for? What do you think you want to make? What are your salary expectations? Just avoid asking, what were you making at your last job? Um, and by the way, the people that are doing your hiring and your interviewing um, on your teams should be also should know what to do if somebody does, does give their salary history. If you don't ask for it, but somebody volunteers it. Um, and how that information you know, can or cannot be used. Right. So as we said before, some, some states' laws do say that you're prohibited from using that information in making a decision as to the compensation uh, for that candidate or whether to hire that candidate. Okay, we're to our Q&A. So hopefully there's questions out there again. Um, We'd love to answer them. We just would like you to wait for our producer, Eduardo, to get to you with the microphone uh, before you start asking it, so we can get it on, on the record. We got a question over here. Welcome, Welcome to, the to the podcast. Thank you. I was wondering, with the new New York State pay transparency law, how broadly do you think that remote worker who might report to someone in New York, how broadly do you think the state of New York will? will um, try to enforce that? Like, do you think it'll be as extreme as the Colorado um, position on remote workers who can be anywhere? Or what do you think the best way to comply with that is? So the amended but not yet passed New York State pay transparency law specifically does say that a remote worker who is reporting on a regular basis into New York, if it's a position, you know, if you're if you're posting for that position, um, that that would come under the pay transparency requirements. So they've 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 addressed that in the amendments, and they're they're saying that if you're reporting into New York, even if you're not based in New York, um, or if that position would be reporting into New York, even if it's not based in New York, the employer has to provide the salary range for that. Okay. So essentially, if a New York employer, I guess, anticipates that it will be reporting into New York and they're open to remote candidates anywhere, then it's safer to include the range. Right, so if you're a New York employer, essentially the only time you don't have to post a salary range 
is if it's going to be a, you know, a physical employee employed in a different location, not reporting, not reporting it to New York. Yeah. <laughs> Any other questions? When it comes to the posting of the salary range, do you have any advice for an employer who maybe realizes later in the recruiting process that they want to pay outside of that range, whether that's more because the talent is really good or less because they realize they can get away with it? So that's a good, that's a good question. Um, and the answer is going to determine in part on when that determination has, made, has been made. So if you have a certain salary range posted, um, and you are interviewing an employee that you really like and you want to get that employee or, you know, two different circumstances could occur, right? It could be that that person just has a, a compensation demand that's higher than what your range is. Um, or the, uh, the employee, you know, you realize that you can actually, as you're interviewing and, and, and talking to employees, you realize that you could pay them less than the salary range it was posted, right? So. First and foremost, the, the standard in almost all the states is essentially good faith, right? So when you determine that salary range, you're required to do it in, in good faith. Um, my belief is that if you end up paying somebody above that pay scale, but you can show that your original determination of what that compensation range would be was in good faith, then you're okay, right? They're not, they're not requiring you to stay within that range, they're just requiring you to post what you believe that range to be in good faith, which is another thing that you know, employers should do. If you're really trying to put a realistic pay range together, as opposed to doing something else to circumvent the requirements, um, you should paper that, right? You should paper the process by which you determined what that salary range is gonna be, um, so that if something like that happens, if there's an accusation that you're not complying with the law or you're you know, the salary range is not accurate, whatever it is, um, you can show how you came to that determination um, in defense of that, of that claim. So I think that, that answers the question, right? And I would say that if you're in the process and you haven't made a decision as to who you're gonna hire yet and you realize that your salary range that you posted is not accurate, then change it um, while that position's still open and, and post a new advertisement for the position that gives a different salary range. Right, right. And, then compensation. That compensation. And, and that decision to go outside the range is gonna raise the pay range for the next hire anyway, right? So maybe you should, if you're considering paying that now, change it now. Right. Got another question over here. This may be an extension of what you've already answered, but how do you factor in years of experience or shift differentials and things like that into this pay band conversation? No, that, that's that's actually, an excellent question. Yeah, that's a very good question. Do you want to take it? Um, I'll let you go first, Jeff. <laughs> so, you looked um, ready. <laughs> so um, you know, what, what employers are also being advised to do, which is why it's a good question, is when you post your pay range, you can say within that advertisement that the actual compensation may vary based on experience, expertise, you know, other factors, geographic location even, right, if you want to give yourself a little more, a little more leeway. I mean, it should still be within the range, but in determining where it falls within the range, you know, those factors may, may affect it. Um, so, so, yeah, so yeah, I would post in the advertisement that salary range may vary based on these different factors. And, and, and Jeff, and maybe this depends on the size of your company or um, the, the circumstances of the job, but, but would you say it also be, could be something that an employer could consider to maybe have 
different grades or ranks of the same position that each have kind of a, a sort of staggered bands. So that somebody who comes in with greater experience, greater skills, greater credentials might be a, a senior widget maker, somebody's entry level, a junior widget maker, and they, those have different pay bands so that you can clearly show how you're rewarding those um, greater, greater credentials as well. I have a question. Thank you. Bear with these, I'm not an employment lawyer. But um, okay. I, I have a question about existing employees. And in California, you know now, existing employees have the right to ask what the pay range is for their specific position. And obviously, that's going to differ you know, depending on what state they're located in. But if, if a California employee is asking that question, are you looking at employees only in California to answer the pay range question? Or like, does it depend? Are there guidelines to that? California. <laughs> is this stump the chunk? The answer is you're going to get sued. That's the answer. That's a great, yeah, I mean, you, you, you always kind of have to color um, your advice with a grain of salt um, on things like this, because you're in California. I don't think the statute is terribly clear on your question, um, but there's a very old um, premise in, in California, as far as the labor code is concerned, that ambiguities in the statute are always construed in favor of the employee. Um, so I would say that you very likely need to publish the pay range for all employees in the organization in that position, regardless of whether they're present in California or not. Now, they may not be the worst thing in the world, because if you have somebody in, in, we were picking on Utah earlier, you have somebody working in Utah and somebody working in LA doing the same job, it's very likely they're pulling the pay range down rather than pushing it up. Um, but yeah, I think that's a, that's a very good question. I, I would err on the side, barring some, some further guidance from the legislature or the courts, I would err on the side of, of going broader rather than narrower. Yeah, I mean, I think you, you have to take into account where anybody who's, you know, might be able to fill that position and, and make sure that it accounts for that. Yeah. It's almost to the employee's disadvantage if you're out here to ask that question. Because, like, you're, it's going to pull you down for the most part, right? That's just a hypothetical. Yeah. Um, <laughs> okay, so, and then one other question. Um, are you, are you looking at commission and bonus when you have to publish that pay range? Also an excellent question. Um, I think that the answer to that is yes. Um, and it, again, this is jurisdiction specific. Um, you know, I think, for example, Colorado is a little bit more blunt in saying you have to talk about all the benefits and all the other forms of what goes into the compensation bargain. Um, but but yeah, I would say if you had a an employee that was say on a on a on a draw plus commission um, arrangement, let's say, I wouldn't just publish the draw because that's not really part of their that's not what their expectation is, right? So I would say that you need to disclose if there's a commission, you need to disclose it. This if you have a range of rates and you may not, you may say we, you know, this is the range of um, the of the base hourly rate and this is the range of what the commission rates could be. Or maybe even say, you know, this is so you may not want to publish your commission sales agreement to a prospective applicant, right? Like this is exactly what it is, but but I think you have to give some sort of disclosure about what that commission expectation would look like. So I think in part it depends whether it's purely commission position or whether it's some sort of base compensation with a small commission element to it and that kind of thing. And then it depends on 
what state you're trying to comply with. So if it's purely commissioned, like New York State actually says, for purely commissioned positions, you can just say compensation will be based on commissions. Um, so that gives you an out in a state like New York. If it's, um, if it's a situation where you, know, you have a base compensation rate and just like a, maybe a bonus or something like that based on commission, then it's going to depend on which state again, because some states only require you to put base compensation in. Right? Others say you have to put not only the base compensation in, but any potential bonus, benefits, commissions, that kind of thing that you could earn. Uh, but again, commissions are, you don't have to give your commission plan. You don't have to say you're going to get X percent of net you know, profit from sales or, or whatever it might be. Um, you just have to note that there's, gonna, there's also a compensation or commission element to that compensation structure. Does that answer your question? a remote position, your the safest bet is to just give more information. Look, the safest bet, right, if it's remote and it can be performed anywhere, then you should look at the state with the most stringent regulations, right, the most restrictive state, or the state required to disclose the most and comply with that. I mean, that's, that's the easiest thing to do and that's the safest thing to do. Oh, what are your thoughts on posting but excluding New York and California? So say employees anywhere except in those places, in, in Illinois, I guess, too. That's, that's, that's a really good question. And you know, so Colorado, we said earlier, was the first state to pass a pay transparency law. And that was happening, right? Employers were saying, you know, not, you know you, you, you're not eligible for this position if you're in Colorado. And that pissed Colorado off. So um, what, what they said is, if you are an employer in Colorado, if you have any employees in Colorado, and you do this right for a remote position or, or whatever it might be, we're going to consider that a violation, and we're coming after you. So you know, I guess it's safe to do it if you're never going to have any contacts with that state. But if you think you're going to be doing business in that state or have employees or offices in that state, better not to. I, I don't think California has done that yet, but I would not <laughs> hold my breath. It's coming. Yeah. Yeah. So in your situation where the person discloses their last pay rate, you didn't ask, they disclose it, and now you can't use it. In California, you're getting sued. <laughs> oh, Sorry. well, wherever, that might be prohibited, right? So I've got, I've disclosed my pay rate. It's Forty to fifty thousand dollars, and I'm interviewing a person. And they say, "Well, by the way, listen, you know, my last job I made seventy-five. Okay, well, I can't unring that bell now. I know, but I can't use it in my decision. I'm not going to hire that person in a forty to fifty thousand dollar job. So what do I do? What, what, what if you know that's really the only differentiating factor? I mean, this might be a narrow factual scenario, but I think that could happen." where somebody's making significantly more than what you're willing to pay? I mean, it's a very good question. And you know, the laws, you know, some of these laws do say that once you've found out what per that person's making, you can't, you know, you can't use that information to decide not to offer them the job, right? So what do you do? You know, I don't know, but you could offer them the job at $50,000 and right, let them not take it and then offer that job to somebody else. But um, I don't know that there's a, there's a good answer. Yeah. And where does that cause of action lie? Is that in these statutes where you just get fined, or is that a separate cause of action? 
that's different in each state with each law. So some have a private right of action for these things, some don't. So it might be an employee complaint to the you know Department of, of um, uh, you know uh, Human Rights or whatever they are, you know whatever it is in that particular state. Um, and some you know they could file a claim in court for violation of the law. It just it depends on which state. I just had to speak for California for one second, though, to just say that Labor Code Section 432.3i actually does permit you to consider in this state a voluntarily disclosed salary history. So there you go. That's, that's, I mean, I not, every, not every salary <laughs> ban state prohibits you from considering what somebody voluntarily discloses to you. Only some do. So um, how do you feel about the question? Um, so one of the first things we ask kind of in that candidate qualification um, process is, what are your salary expectations for the role? So, so if, we don't ask how much you're making. We are asking right. what is your um, That's salary generally considered to be OK. You, you can, can ask what compensation expectations are. And then at that point, they disclose yeah. the range they're in. And if they're outside of the range or in the range, then we state, well, the actual job that we have posted is in the range of 50 to 60. This is outside of the range that you disclosed. How do you feel about proceeding with this, you know, these conversations? So we try to really pull the ammunition on that kind of that compensation question when we almost did our first conversation with an applicant. Right. Questions, Questions about, about pay expectations or requirements are generally okay. Hi. Two questions. So let's say you have a specialized position. Uh, you've got a person who's been in the role for 10 years. Um, typically, when someone's been at a company for 10 years due to pay compression, they don't keep up with market, so they're probably below market at this point. And then they go and they ask HR, I want to know the pay range for my job, and they're the only one in it. Can the employer just pick the range that they're actually currently getting paid, even though it's below market? I mean, Sure. I mean, that's the range for the employer, right? If it's the only one in the position, that's the range. So, yeah. Yeah. It's because that's what you're, you know, you're disclosing what your pay range is as, your, as a business, as a company, for that position, not what the notional range is or what the competitive range is. It's, so if that's the only person in that position, then... Right, and what typically happens then is that they quit, they get paid more, and then you have to replace them at market. Is there any um, liability issue if they find out, you know, the moment they quit, the job is posted at market rate, which is not what you told them? I mean, again, if it's all being done in good faith and it's not based on any discriminatory, you know, um, protected classification or anything like that, then, you know, could you get sued? Yes. Do you, would you have a defense? Yes. The other question is, um, a pay range is um, posted, let's just make it up, um, 90 to 100,000 or sorry, 90 to 200,000. Okay. Um, no one in the position is actually getting paid anywhere between 150 and 200. And, but the job post it says 90 to 200 and then the outside recruiters are telling candidates well they don't really want to pay above 100 so they've got a, a, a range posted but they're really not that was a lot of numbers you are a lot of numbers okay so what I got was nobody in the role is getting is anywhere between 150 and 2 right and you want to pay one and the, the, the recruiter you're working with is telling candidates they really want to pay one so I think your question is, am I okay with the, my ad that says the range is 90 to 2? Right, because that's, that's happening. That's what people are asking okay. it. That keeps coming up, that the pay range really isn't legitimate, that they're really not agreeing to pay anyone in that range. But they're posting it big because they feel that gives them more um, leverage or um, 
in case they get that one person who really is amazing and they want to go outside their range. So some, some employers are posting really large pay ranges, even though they have no plan to ever pay, you know, even at the top half of that range. So that's the reason why the one, that, that, that's the reason why the range is going all the way to two instead of to 150, is to try to, is, is a recruitment tool, but it's really, we're not ever going there. Right, so I guess is there a risk to the employer that the outside recruiters are basically saying what the truth is, even though the job is posted with them? I would say yes. Yeah. I mean, that is that is risk. I mean, if there's, you gave sort of two different scenarios. One was where the high end um, is the high end because they might actually pay somebody that much money if they're if they're a rock star, right? And they decide they need to have them. The other one was they're just putting that out to, to, to attract people to apply for the job. Um, if they're just putting that out there to, you know, attract people to apply for the job, it's probably not a good faith set, a range of compensation, so it's a technical violation of the law. And if your recruiter is telling people that that's a BS range, then yeah, then you might you might be in trouble. Yeah. Sure. It's a family podcast, Jeff. <laughs> this has been really fun, Jeff. <laughs> Thank you all for joining us for the Ackerman Angle Live for the first time ever. We have to question your uh, definition of fun. Please.